Good morning, everyone. It's uh, good to be with you all, and um, I'm really excited to be here. It's been a while since I've been uh, since I taught here at Cornerstone, so uh, I had the opportunity to teach the uh, um, uh, the scriptures today, and to do so in this season of Advent, in this season of Epiphany. Um, today, we're going to look at the concept of expectation and expectations. So, I invite you to take your Bible and turn to the book of Isaiah, chapter 64. The, in, the, in the Old Testament, particularly in ancient, uh, not just in ancient Judaism, but in ancient cultures, period, um, one of the ways that cultures were defined, um, well, actually, the primary and, and, and probably singularly way uh, that cultures were defined um, uh, was through language. So somewhere along the way, we started making cultural distinctions around, the, around race, um, which is never how God has thought of anything so it should be no surprise to us that we're as jacked up as we are today. Um, when we look at things from a language perspective, that's how God defines things. So the way that oral cultures would keep their linguistic uh, rhythms in place was through stock phrases. Right? And so when you look back at, through history, there are, there are in, in many ancient cultures, just there, there are phrases of repetition that you'll see time and time again. And the Jewish people were no different. There are certain repetitious phrases that you can read throughout the Old Testament um, that you're like, oh, I've seen that before. Oh, I've seen that before. And then you'll see them show up in the New Testament. And the writers of the New Testament, who are Jewish in heritage, use some of these same stock phrases. Uh, blessed is the Lord God. Uh, blessed be the name of the Lord. Um, the, the Shema, which says that the Lord is one, um, and we love the Lord of God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's another sort of stock phrase. Isaiah 64, in my opinion, is, is one of the most important phrases that you see repeated throughout the scriptures, but we overlook it. Um, but it's absolutely crucial to what Advent stands for. It, it's absolutely crucial as to what the uh, incarnation of Christ is all about. So let's read the first five verses of Isaiah 64. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence. That's the repetitious phrase right there. Oh, that you would rend, sometimes we see it translated the word part. Oh, that you would part the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence. We see this in Psalm 18. We see this in Psalm 144. We see this from a story standpoint in Exodus uh, 20 through 32, when God visits Mount Sinai. Um, it, it all stems from, from that point. But this phrase, is, is, it's a continual, it's that one that comes up. Oh, that you would part, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence. Verse 2, as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down. The mountains quaked at your presence. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God beside you who acts for those who wait for him. You meet him who joyfully works righteousness. Those who remember you in your ways. Behold, you were angry and we sinned. In our sins, we have been a long time. And shall we be saved? God, thanks for your words to us. Thank you for the revelation that we have of who you are. Uh, thank you for the depths of the God that we serve. And today we want to uh, plumb those depths and understand you more deeply. So teach us what it means, Lord, to, uh, to know you, uh, to receive you in the way that you want to bring yourself to us today. Um, yeah, keep our hearts and minds and spirits open 
to what it is that your spirit is saying. Uh, let the one who has an ear to hear, hear what God is saying to Cornerstone today. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, how would you define an expectation? Nobody wants to answer. <laughs> What's that? Okay, something you're planning on? Very good, very good. A preconceived notion about, about how something is supposed to be. Looking for a certain result. Yeah, these are all excellent concepts of, of expectation. Um, expectations are on, on many levels ways that, that, we, uh, that we live our lives, even to the most, like, the most basic concepts uh, of, of ourselves. In other words, like when you woke up this morning, you might not have known this, but you expected your body to function. Right? And if you woke up and your body wasn't functioning the way that it was supposed to, th- then what did that do? That, that threw a monkey wrench into your, into, into your day, into your plans. If you wake up in the middle of the night and you've got to puke, right? Like that's, your expectations for the next day have now shifted. And now your mind goes to like, did I eat something? Am I sick? How, how, how do I deal with this now? expectations are, yeah, are, are all the things that we just talked about, preconceived notions, understandings about how things should be. Um, on many levels, expectations are, are completely unavoidable, right? It, it, it's, it's really how we live our lives. Um, we all expect certain things. And what happens when an expectation is not met? What's that word? Disappointment, right? Disappointment, which take that word apart. This, a point, which means something was appointed, which got dissed, right? That, that, that's, a, that's just a standard vernacular for, for disappointment. To, to be disappointed means that something was appointed. In other words, there was an appointed expectation that, that, was, that was thwarted, that, that, was, that was done away with, or that was run around. Um, to be disappointed is to not have an expectation met. And sometimes expectations can be uh, actually quite helpful. Other times, expectations can be exceedingly dangerous. And I would suggest that the way that expectations can be helpful helpful is when they're held within the proper authority structure. In other words, if I went home today and my children had bought spray paint and graffitied our walls, right? I would have a number of reactions One of which would be, I expected better from you. And I'm very disappointed. Have any of you ever had an authority figure that you really cherish, that means a lot to you, express disappointment toward you? That hurts. That's that's like, that cuts. That's difficult. That hits you in a a sensitive spot. So I I would suggest that I, I expect my wife to be faithful to me as a husband. I'd say that's a healthy expectation, right? I mean, we made a promise. This is how it works. You know, I, I, I expect this. I expect my children to be respectful to their mother. And when that doesn't happen, they're, they're, there's a problem there. It's different when it comes to peer relationships, though, right? Um, because there isn't an authority structure in place. It isn't a husband-wife thing where she expects the same thing from me. And, and, and were I not to be, she would be severely disappointed and hurt, Right? You know, but it's different when it's peers. When, when we think about peers, expectate, because relationships are weird. And, and relationships are, are ambiguous and they're, they're growing. And oftentimes one person has a thought about a relationship that another person doesn't. Anybody ever in this relationship ever have a, uh, a, a DTR conversation with someone else defining the relationship? 
You know, so like, what is this? I'm, I'm really into you romantically. Yeah, I'm not so into you romantically. Whew. Right? Disappointment. Uh, peer relationships are, are, are very different. And what you learn as you grow in friendships is, is, is that you actually really have to be, have to be um, really aware. And what the scriptures would say is toward the other person. So that expectations don't take over. And you can just receive that person for who they are today. And for what's going on today. Instead of making assumptions about who they are. Right? And the way you do that is by staying in relationship, by staying in communication, by, by engaging together. Isn't it great to have friends where you can like not have, uh, for any number of reasons, just because life happens sometimes, but, like, but like not have contact for a while. But when you get together, you can just pick up wherever you left off. Right? Th- th- those are good because there's always a question in that spot, like, a- am I meeting expectations or am I going to be a disappointment or, or vice versa? You know, re- relationships are, are, are messy and they're hard. And when you inject expectation into those relationships, then, then we have a serious problem. Uh, a couple of weeks before I got married, my dad and I spent some time together, and my dad said, so what do you expect from marriage? And I was like, I, I don't know. I'm not there yet. And he said, yeah, but there's probably some expectations in place. He's like, so like, do, do how do you expect the roles to work? Do you expect, like, who's going to cook? Who's going to do laundry? Do you expect to have sex? Do you expect to, uh, to enjoy time together? Do you expect to have, you know, it's different. Like, like you need to understand that, uh, and then he gave really good advice. He was like, whatever expectations you have, I'd encourage you to drop them right now. Um, and, and just love your wife. That was really good advice. Expectation and the way that we work with each other, the, the relationship is what defines those expectations. Right? And sometimes those expectations can be really clear. You probably have a very clear idea of what your boss wants from you at work and what he or she expects. Right? It might not be that way with some other relationships in your life. However, what happens when we begin to project expectations toward God? Now let's think about authority structures again. Now, now things begin to shift and, and become a little bit more ill-defined. Let, let's think about this biblically. Um, so uh, what did Abraham expect? What did Abraham expect? What did God tell him? Look at the stars. Your, your, your lineage is going to be more numerous than those stars. What did Abraham get? Wow. That's, can you, can you imagine being in that spot and being like, God, I, I expected something completely different, frankly, because you said so. All right, we can take it uh, further. What did Joseph expect? Joseph expected to be with his dad, right? I mean, he and his dad had a special relationship, and Joseph expected to be loved by his dad and to be part of the family he was a part of. What did he get? He got an Egyptian prison. I, found, I googled this stuff online. Um, some, tra- some Sunday school craft project. He he got an Egyptian prison based on his family's betrayal of him. Well, he didn't expect that. Right? What did Esther expect? Did Esther ever expect this? You know, as a Jewish girl under the boot of a foreign invader king, was this ever in the cards for her? Did that, did that expectation ever cross, ever cross her mind? 
What did David expect? You know, while he's sitting out with the sheep, singing songs and worshiping the Lord, did he ever expect to have to confront Goliath? Did he ever expect to one day rule a nation? And did he ever expect this level of leadership to come through this level of pain? Now, I, I just think all of these people we're talking about had their expectations severely challenged. What did Mary expect? She sure as heck did not expect this. Right, a visitation by an angel before she's married as a teenager. Right, this is my favorite picture of Mary I've ever found. Of, of now, like, picture this girl pregnant walking down Cumberland Street. What do you assume? Right, man, I, I, hope, I hope she can still make it through school. <laughs> I hope that guy's treating her okay. And that's not at all what happened to her. Right? The, 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 the expectation with which she's living her life gets, gets severely distorted and it becomes uh, massively compromised. And, and the question is like, so how are these people that we look at and their expectations, how did they respond to God? And what does it mean for us to let God be God in our lives? And for the expectation that we have of God to be the expectations that we should have of God. Because I would suggest to you this morning, we should expect more than we currently do. I'd also suggest to you that a lot of our expectations that we do have are the wrong expectations. And because we have the wrong expectations, then we don't expect what we actually should. So back to the text, Isaiah 64. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Right, that the mountains might quake at your presence, that the mountains would tremble before you. As when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil, come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. When you did awesome things, what? That we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Right? Since ancient times, no one has seen, heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God beside you who acts on behalf of those who wait on him. I just, I think that this text holds some deep core points for us today. Let's read this passage together out loud. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you, as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil. Come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. But when we continued to sin against them, you were angry. How then can we be saved? When we think about uh, Christmas and, and Advent, um, the, my favorite word for this time of year, since a lot of you know how I feel about this situation, is the word incarnate or, or, or incarnation. I think that the concept of incarnation, when we think about it, is um, something that uh, has lost the amount of punch that it's meant to have. Um, 
I would suggest to you that one thing that we see in the scriptures is that the power of the incarnation is a power to actually move and shift and uh, engage powerful spiritual forces in ways that we don't think about as often as we should. I would suggest to you the incarnation is an act of spiritual warfare every bit as much as it is uh, a gentle, humble baby in a manger. Uh, Flip back in Isaiah, stick your finger in 64, just flip back to chapter 9. You'll recognize some very Christmassy verses in this text. Let's start in verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. This is quite a picture the prophet is painting for us here in verses 2 through 5. All right, he, he's painting a, a picture of national conquest. He's painting a picture of blood. Uh, every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult, every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. He is talking about freedom for a people who have to this point been oppressed. Right? This is a strange and gory geopolitical scene. Verse 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be on his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. What can you expect of God? You can expect nations to be upset. Right? You can expect darkness to flee. You can expect oppression to be destroyed. You can expect a God who can handle the fullness of full government on his shoulder as a baby in a manger. You can expect this God to be a wonderful counselor, that the one whose wisdom you get is wisdom that you can count on, right? An everlasting father, a family, a lineage that goes forever a prince of peace, right? a God who comes and invades darkness and destroys freedom, oh, I'm sorry, who destroys darkness for freedom, who releases captives, who, who destroys oppression. Or you can expect this God to bring this kind of freedom and then to rule from a posture of wholeness because he has nothing to prove to anyone. He is a mighty God. And so for us to bring to God, my my question for us this Christmas is, what does it mean for us to bring to God the expectations that we actually should, as opposed to the expectations that we think we want? C.S. Lewis does some wonderful writing on this in Mere Christianity, when he says, we are far too easily satisfied. We are far too easily satisfied. He says, we are much like the beggar child making mud cakes in the dirt, not realizing there is a banquet table set for us at the home of the king. 
we are far too easily satisfied. And I would suggest to you that that is still ringing true. That the expectations that we tend to have of God are expectations that we either A, don't have a right to have, or B, that are just too darn small. Whereas the expectations that we can have of God are expectations that we can bring to him. But then to be able to see those expectations realized, we have absolutely zero control to make that happen. So it's easier for us to live small because what happens if you have small expectations? Then you'll only be a little disappointed, right? What happens if you have huge expectations? Then you could be really disappointed. However, what does the scriptures tell us about hope? What do the scriptures tell us about hope in God? Remember this? Go to Romans 5. Keep your finger in Isaiah 64. Actually, don't worry about it. You can, you can leave Isaiah 64 if you want. It'll be up on the screen. Therefore, since we have been just, this is verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in what? In hope of the glory of God, which means the more glory God gets, the more solid your hope is. More than that, we rejoice in what? Our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so with the incarnation, with this spiritual invasion of God rending the heavens and quite literally coming down, I mean, and like like fully coming down, the great coming down, over and over we see this phrase, over and over we see this represented in the tabernacle and the temple, over and over the Old Testament is time and time again saying, God's coming, the Messiah is coming, the Messiah is coming. And they're praying, oh, that you would part the heavens and come down, that you would touch the mountain, that they would burn with fire. And then he does. And he comes down by taking upon himself this frail form of humanity. And God himself is with us. That's the wonder. That's the wonder of what this season is about. It's, it's not so much about the fact that we have peace on earth and goodwill toward men, right? And women. It's about the fact that God is the channel by which those things happen. And he is now among us. So if he's among us, then what should we expect of him? What is it? What is it that continues to be the thread and the story that holds all of these people together and all of these stories together that weaves them into the same seamless story that is the story that you and I have. And I would suggest to you, it's God himself. Gene, this thing stopped working. Um, Gene, this is not my most updated Prezi. Could you go to the website? And Yeah, thank you.
All right. Well, we'll let Gene fix that. Um, I have some good questions. They're in that. I don't remember the order, and the order matters. So think about your own personal life, right? Uh, what is an expectation that you have of God? And, and give yourself grace to let it be an unhealthy one or, or a healthy one. Right? What, what is an expectation that you have of God, either, either healthy or, or unhealthy? Where's that come from? Where, where was that given? What, what story is behind that? Thank you. You see, like for Abraham, like the struggle of going up that mountain, if I was Abraham, is being like, this, something's wrong. Like some, something's off. This is not at all what I expected. Now, maybe you've had that same experience. For me, I'm, I want to share a story with you today about uh, a solid expectation that I hold um, that I can't make sense of and I don't know what to do. So it has to do with, with our, our son, Ben, and, and the way that uh, uh, Ben um, came into the world. So... Uh, you know, our two youngest kids have cystic fibrosis, right, which is a genetic disease. Uh, Christy was diagnosed first, and then uh, we found out that we were pregnant with Ben. And I developed insomnia, being worried about the fact that uh, Ben was going to have CF as well. And uh, I, d- I didn't sleep for, for months, and it was, it was killing me. And I, I, I didn't know what to do. So I asked my wife, I asked Sherry, if she'd be willing to have an amniocentesis, right, which is where they take some fluid out of the womb, they can do a genetic test on it. I would at least know if Ben had CF or not. Um, And I could maybe get some sleep. The night before the amniocentesis, I had a dream, right? And in my dream, I saw Trey, our oldest son, and I saw Ben, and they were standing with each other, and Ben was... uh, just super strong and healthy in that, in that picture. And I knew immediately Ben did not have CF. So I woke up the next morning and I said to Sherry, we're canceling this thing. I had a dream last night. This kid's not going to have CF. Right? It, it, was, it was just extremely clear to me. It's just, it's just extremely clear. Ben was born in November and they did the genetic test and it turned out that he, he did have CF. It's pretty impossible for me to explain the level of disappointment that I felt in that hospital room. I had such a high level of disappointment that, like, I couldn't, I couldn't feel. You know, I, I couldn't cry or anything like that. Um, it was just complete, complete numbness. Fourteen years later, and I'm standing up here telling you, I still don't know what that was. When it comes to my own personal wrestle with our life and being with Ben in the hospital a couple of weeks ago, this is the story that keeps coming back to my head. Like, like God, what, what is that? What, what was going on there? I don't, I don't understand you. What can or should you expect of God? Did you ever think about this question? What can or should you expect of God? 
I think some of us here would say, we shouldn't expect anything of God. He's God, and that's what it means for him to be God. And he can do whatever he wants, and I shouldn't expect anything. I heartily disagree. I'm pretty sure, I think the scriptures teach us to expect things of God. What are some things that we can expect of God? What's that? Okay, he keeps his promises. What else? Okay, that he's for us. He doesn't change. Somebody says something else. He's faithful. All right, all right. His ways, like we don't get them. What else? All right, he's coming back. Yeah, these are all some very basic expectations that we absolutely can and should have. There are other expectations that we can have. And look, you can expect anything of God that you want to. That doesn't mean, though, that he ever bends who he is and his character to meet us in that spot. Because if there's one thing that makes God God, and that makes his expectations worth banking on, it's the fact that he's God. Which is the rub for a lot of us. That that's the difficult spot. What do you actually have? <clears throat> like, wh- what do you what do you actually have in your life that that is fully and true, like that, that you absolutely truly possess? That that's unbreakable, that's unshakable. What do you actually have? I think that when we do that math and and really begin those subtractions of the things that we actually truly can fully expect in and of ourselves, I'm pretty sure there's only one thing. Because we don't actually possess the things that we think that we possess or or control the things that we think that we can control. At at the core, I think what the scriptures teach us really clearly is that what we do have is, is God. And the level of uh, the level of fulfillment that we have in life, <laughs> and the level of uh, goodness that we experience, the level of of faithfulness and life that is given to us, is all an extension of who He is. Which means that to the point that we level our expectations at Him. <laughs> instead of at one another, and trust him for who he is in every moment, the more fulfilled we're going to be because we don't actually have anything except him. Whom have I in heaven but you, the psalmist says. For what do you live? What, what drives you? What are you doing? Why are you doing that? Uh, my family's not going to be at the covenant member meeting tonight, um, given the circumstances in our in our life. So I, I'm supposed to give a report tonight about um, my regional work, about the work that I do regionally. Um, and so I'm going to give you that report right now. Uh, so for those of you that don't know me, I, I serve as uh, a leader as part of Netzer, which is a, a regional association of churches across southeastern Pennsylvania and northern Maryland. I work at Teaching the Word Ministries, which if you draw a triangle from Harrisburg to Baltimore to Philly, 
we serve a lot of nonprofits and churches and businesses and leaders in that triangle, um, uh, offering a lot of oversight and spiritual advice, um, uh, guidance, conflict management, those kinds of things. Um, I counted it up uh, this weekend, and I'm working with um, uh, over 40 churches, nonprofits, Christian businesses. Right? Um, and there is a common theme that has been arising throughout all of those in the course of the last year. And it's that our vision is getting small. That, that our vision is getting small. And be that organizationally or be that personally, our vision is getting small. I was talking with a, a leader a couple of months ago, and um, uh, it's, it's a generational family business. So uh, they're talking about succession and about how to pass on uh, life-giving business practice and family value to, uh, to the next generation. And I was talking to one person, and I just said, so what, what do you want for your kids? And, um, and, she, and she said, Man, I just really want to be happy and healthy. Really? Like, that's the biggest you can dream for your kids? Is happy and healthy? That, that's as broad as your imagination can go as a parent? You don't want more? <laughs> like, isn't there something that burns in you? And she was like, well, actually, yeah, now that you mention it, I wanted to have a passionate relationship with Jesus. Yeah, now, now we're getting somewhere. What else? What does that mean? What does that look like? She's like, uh, and, and she, started, she started thinking, and you could like see things started, starting to click. And she goes, she goes well, like, like, I, I want them to, be, to have strong character. I want them to be able to, 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 to be a leader. Like, I, I, want my, I want my youngest son to be able to take on challenges that right now he's afraid of. You know, and I want my, I want my oldest daughter to see that um, even though we live in a different kind of an environment with our family and everything, that she is someone who has got deep, full value in and of herself just for herself. Yeah, now we're getting somewhere. This is great. You know, so we started thinking and it sort of like uncorked it and, and pretty soon visioning was happening. And then she started to put together the truth that if she was going to raise kids who were as spiritually strong as the people that she was describing, that means they were going to have to suffer. Because there's only one way to grow strong character, and it's through resistance. So we can choose to create nice 68-degree bubbles for our kids and stick them in there and go, uh, I'm going to protect you until you're out in the world. You know? And what we oftentimes end up raising then is people have small expectations, both of themselves and of God. Because suffering really requires things from us. So what's it look like for us to risk our children? Right? What's it look like to put them in situations that actually stretch and pull and grow them? These are good questions. My report for tonight is um, that uh, across the board, our vision is small. Our, our vision is small. What it is that we think that we want is small. The organizations and the churches particularly that I'm working with are, have become very content at what it is that they've decided to do. And their programs are getting better. They're getting more efficient. They're getting more streamlined. Their churches are, are programmatically healthy. Um, the budget's pretty okay. It's in the 10,000 plus or minus ra- range. Th- th- things are good. People are pretty happy. Staff is pretty happy. I'm going to stay here for a while. I'm going to retire from here. Yeah, I'm going to stay here. We're going to grow our kids together. These are the kinds of conversations that are happening. In the meantime, 
We live in a world that's broken and exploding all around us. Where over the course of the last century, slavery is greater than it's ever been in human history. It's more more proliferate. We, we, we live in a time when, when over the last hundred years, we've seen more war than every other century combined, right? We, we, we live in a deeply divided people, a deeply divided nation along all kinds of lines and all kinds of ideologies. The crazy thing to me about the 2016 election was not the results of it or the politics of it. It was that I saw Christians become afraid to talk to one another about it. Right? And so we're dumbing ourselves down and we're taking our visions and we're making it small. And we're becoming very happy with just doing our thing. When God is calling us to so much more, our vision are things that we can see and that our ears can hear and that our minds can conceive. And God declares to us in Isaiah 64 that you can't see what it is that I'm going to do. You can't hear. You haven't heard of this yet. Your mind can't put together what it is that I have in store for you. And when I do things that you don't expect, you tend to pull back. Like, what's going on here? Or you tend to blame. Like, God, why are you letting this happen? I still have no idea what that dream meant. I don't know what's in store for Ben. I don't know what's in store for Chris. I don't know what's in store for Trey. I don't know what's in store for us. I don't know what this week's going to look like. I don't know what the past couple of weeks was about. I'm still trying to figure all that out. What I do know is over the course of the last 15 years, that dream and my questions around it have made me say, am I in this or not? Because if I don't get an answer to this dream, then where am I? So what it does is it drives me to God, which is exactly where I need to be. So I was having a conversation with my, uh, uh, Tim Deering, who you all have heard teach. And, and Tim and I have been best buddies since we were in fourth grade. We've gone through all kinds of stuff together. And the last month has frankly been hell. So I'm on the, I'm on the phone with Tim the other day. And you know, Tim knows me uh, just really, really well inside and out. I'm on the phone with Tim. And he goes, uh, um, so like, how you doing? <laughs> I was just like, I, I, I don't know. I'm trying to keep my head above water. He's like, is it working? I said, I, I, I don't know. Today it's not. And he's like, and I could just, I could hear his gears turning through the phone. Like, and he was just trying to come up with some, something. And he was just like, man, I'm just really sorry. Like, are, are you able to like trust God or something? <laughs> and then he just broke up laughing. Like he just cracked up laughing. Like what a like like I just wish I had that thing to say to my friend when he's hurting, you know, kind of a thing. He's cracked up laughing. Like, like what a I, and I said to him, man, we we must have been really good pastors, you know, with, with spiritual wisdom like that. <laughs> can can you trust God or something? Um, at at the same time, then he prayed with me, and uh, and when he prayed with me, the Holy Spirit led him to say this, um, you know, like. What he heard the Holy Spirit say when he prayed for me was, you know, it's not a bad question. Like, do, do, you, do you trust me? And, you know, my answer would easily be, I, I did. <laughs> but he's not asking that. He's not asking, did you trust me? And he's not asking, are you going to trust me? What he is asking is, is do you trust me? 
which is the beauty of what Isaiah 64 gives us. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, no mind has conceived what God has in store for those who wait on him. See, if there's one thing, again, this is a C.S. Lewis statement uh, from Mere Christianity. If there's one thing that as we grow up in Christ, we learn, it's that we don't actually have anything. Like you don't have the time that you just had and you don't have the time that you're going to have. So what Lewis says is that the beauty of waiting on God is that it makes you a person of the moment because all you have is right now. And be that the rawness of your pain or be that the exhilaration of your joy. All you have is right now. And what are you going to do with it? And that dream doesn't exist for me 14 years ago. I don't have 14 years of pointing at God going, what in the world? Because if I don't have God, when it comes to the way I think about my son, I don't have anything. Right, so do you trust me? That, that, that is the question. Think back to what Isaiah 64, is this thing not working? I want to go back. Uh, is this thing not working? Did I screw it up somehow? There we go. Think back to Isaiah 64. No, who acts on behalf of those who wait for him, right? Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. To wait means to be in the moment, right? Wait, waiting, it's not, the, it's not that Jerry Seinfeld bit about this is a waiting room. It's what they created for. They take you from one waiting room to the next. And then you, what do you do there? You wait. You have to wait there. It's called a waiting room, right? This is what we talked about over the last few weeks. Waiting on God means being present, means being in the moment. It means you're here. And you're not somewhere else. Do you trust God? Not did you trust God? Not are you going to trust God? Do you trust God? Next. What's that? Next slide. If there's one thing that we understand, it's that nobody expected this. Right? I mean, nobody expected this. Mary didn't expect it. Joseph didn't expect it. No one expected this. Next slide. Uh, there you go. Okay. When Gabriel comes to Mary, isn't that a beautiful exchange? Remember what happened here? Gabriel says to Mary, you will be with child. Mary says what? How in the world is that possible? I haven't even been with a man. Gabriel says, the Holy Spirit is going to put this child in you and you're going to name him. You're going to say, this is the God who's with us. What's Mary's response? Let it be to me. Let it be to me according to your word. (laughs) What else is there? However, When Mary had this experience, she did not expect this. Next slide. Right? And when Jesus had this experience, everyone around him certainly did not expect this. However, when it comes to expectations for us as humans, next slide, I'm pretty sure that these three things are the only things that we can expect. 
we can expect for God to be with us. The power of the incarnation. You can absolutely expect the suffering of the cross. And you can unbelievably rely on the fact that you will experience resurrection, life, and power like you have never known when you embrace your cross and live with a God who is with you. Because he is a God who acts on behalf of you. He, He does for you. He invites you with him. And the expectations that we live are expectations that are far too small because they feel safe to us, when in reality, they are pilfering our hearts and visions and dreams for what God actually wants to do through us. Because we know that if we're going to do that, that means the embrace of a cross. If we're going to be about that, that means that I've got to step out into something that I don't know what's going to happen. If that means I'm going to live with those kinds of visions and dreams, then I have to embrace the moment in a situation that I did not want and did not ask for and somehow find God in that and trust him in the moment when I actually don't have the answers and trust him in the moment when the relationships do fail and trust him in the moment when the dreams aren't fulfilled. I had a friend of mine, uh, he didn't know Jesus. I was sharing this dream with him uh, at some point. I don't remember why. And he was like, God's just playing with your emotions. And you know, for like the rest of that work day, I sat on that. It's like, God, just playing with my emotions. Wow. That stinks. What a lousy God. Like, who, what kind of a God does that? What kind of God toys with your heart like that and uses your kid to do it? And then I remembered, or the Holy Spirit reminded me, that's not God. That's not me. Well, then what is it? What did that mean? Yeah, let's talk about that. Let's have that conversation. But don't don't forget who you are. And and sure as heck, don't forget who I am. Because I'm with you. Your cross will only lead to your life. Because the government of God says that unless that kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies... It bears a harvest of life. And that's what you can expect. Please, folks, expect life from your God. Expect the embrace of the cross to be the power of the victory of God. Expect God to be with you in ways that you cannot possibly begin to imagine, like a baby in a manger. Like, think about it like that. But expect the right things, please, The people of God, let's drop our low dreams, our small visions, our contentment with keeping things the way that they are, or of just being happy in life, or of just getting by, or of coming together and being together and and doing this and and, and going to church and and having our groups and, and saying, praying the same prayers we've always prayed. You know, please, 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 let's get beyond these things. Because I think God is calling us to such a higher level of expectation of him that we don't want to embrace because we know if we ask for those expectations, he'll call us to one of these things. And that's terrifying. 
if you don't trust God. But if we trust him, then that means that these things are the embrace of life, what Jesus would call abundant life. And so in the spots where we find ourselves without anything, what we do have is a God who is with us. And a God who calls us to lose our life so that we might find it. And a God who calls us to victory and freedom like we have never known. And for Abraham, that did not look like what he thought it would. And for Joseph, it did not look like what he thought. For Esther and for David, for, 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 uh, for Mary, none of these things worked the way it was supposed to. Has as your life ever worked the way it was supposed to? But do you trust God? Not did you, not will you, do you? Let's today, as we take communion together, as you come and you tear off that piece of bread and dip it in that juice, let's make this a declaration of the in the moment trust. If you're standing back there and you don't trust God and that point where you dip and chew is when you choose it, let that be a moment of redemption and life for you. When we together declare as this local body, God, I trust you. We trust you. You are the God who acts on our behalf as we wait on you. And we will trust you in the waiting because that's where you are. Thank you, God, for the wonder of your presence, for the life that you give us. Thank you, God, for the reality of the depths of your revelation to us, that you are the God who does things that we do not expect. And you are the God who uh, engages us in ways that are mysterious and that we cannot see, that we have not heard, and that our minds cannot picture. And you are the God who does abundantly, exceedingly beyond anything that we can ask or think. God, we need faith. We need faith. Would you birth faith in us to trust you in this moment? Knowing that this moment is the moment. That God is with us. That the embrace of our cross is our point of life. And that the resurrection is our truest reality. And as we remember your death, we declare our trust. And we say thank you. In Jesus' name.